0: no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details
2: hey everyone it's Ted from Consumer Cellular the guy in the orange sweater and this is your wake up call If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular
0: has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com.
2: Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details.
1: I'd like to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able right now, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a preborn baby. Their heart begins to form at conception, and at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why we've partnered with Preborn, because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's networks of clinics rescue 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. That doubles a baby's chances at life. And by six weeks, the eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her own thumb. And for just $28, you could be the difference between life or death of a child. All gifts are tax deductible, and I want you to donate. All you have to do is just dial pound 250. And say the keyword, baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. You can also donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict. That's preborn.com slash verdict or pound 250 and say the keyword, baby.
2: Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air?
0: For years and I really like it.
2: Justice Amy Coney Barrett after a confirmation vote in the Senate and a wonderful ceremony. It seemed like just minutes later over at the White House. How is this going to affect the bench for the next 10, 20, 30, who knows how many years? We will find out. And almost of equal importance, how will this affect the vote in less than two weeks? This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles. I wish that I were in Washington right now because it sounds like it has been a whirlwind past two days. Senator, I know that you voted on Justice Barrett earlier yesterday. Then it seemed to went straight to the White House for her her confirmation ceremony with Justice Thomas and the President Within what, uh, half an hour or an hour after that, could you just take us through? Uh, we know that she's on the bench now. Could you take us through how it all unfolded?
3: So sure. So yesterday was was a big deal. It was historic. Uh, the confirmation vote itself was about eight o'clock at night, uh, Monday night. It was teed up, so we voted at 1 p.m. on Sunday on what's called cloture, which is the vote to end debate on a nomination. And so we invoked cloture. Sunday at 1 p.m., and then there's a 30-hour rule that the nomination is 30 hours after that vote. So we voted 1 p.m. on Sunday, so then Monday night uh, was supposed to be about 7 p.m., ended up being about 8 p.m. So we all gather uh, on the Senate floor. Um, The Republicans are all there, and the only Democrat on the floor is Chuck Schumer. And Schumer is, when I come and sit and sit at my desk, Schumer is pontificating about how he intends to burn the country down and you will rue the day. I don't know if he actually said you will rue the day, but, but that was kind of his whole <laughs> theme is you will rue the day. Um, and, and we're going to be even worse. But it, it was an odd thing because all the Democrats were missing. So it's the Republicans listening to Schumer lecture us. So we sat there for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes listening to him go on and on. He finishes, and then Mitch McConnell gets ready to give his speech. And Schumer leaves, like he walks off the floor. So (laughs) not a single Democrat is on the Senate floor while Mitch is speaking. And by the way, I thought Mitch gave a very good speech. I told him afterwards I thought it was the best speech I've ever heard him give because it was sort of a very reasonable assessment of how the Democrats have abused the confirmation process and how what, what, Republicans were doing is consistent with how the Senate has operated for 200 years. So Mitch gives his speech 20 minutes or so, and we're all sitting there listening to him. Interestingly enough, by the way, most of Mitch's speech, he's turned around and kind of talking to the other Republican senators, which is Hmm. odd because if you're on the floor, you're usually talking to a TV camera, you're talking to C SPAN. So I guess the image from C SPAN, I haven't seen the TV cut, but it's kind of Hmm. his back because he's like turning around and talking to us. Why do you think he was doing that? Why did he change position? I think he was very much trying to address, I don't know if it was wobbly votes. I I don't think there were any votes that were wobbly at that point, but it was more just sort of, I think, assuaging the Republicans that all of this apocalyptic talk on the left isn't right or accurate. So all the Democrats skip, boycott Mitch's speech. Then Mitch finishes and Schumer, who's hiding in the Democratic cloakroom, he sticks his head out and says, there isn't a quorum. <laughs> and, and technically what you do is, so he sits in the back, pulls out his mic and says, I suggest the absence of a quorum. And the clerk starts calling the roll and, and, and actually Chuck Grassley, who's the most senior senator, who's the president pro tem, he took the took the chair and he looked around, every Republican was sitting in our damn chairs. I mean, you can look around and see that we were all there. So Grassley just rules, there is a quorum, right. which I, I <laughs> kind of appreciated that he didn't make us actually all physically say present because every one of us could see each other. Right. What was funny is during that quorum call, Michigan Senator Debbie Stabenow stepped onto mm-hmm. the floor and i guess she just didn't get the message that they were all boycotting and and one of the senate floor staffers <laughs> rushed over to her like no 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 senator you got to get out you got to get out and so she turns around
2: and runs out there's no voting here this is the senate you can you've got to get out of here if you're a democrat they were making a a sort of petulant statement that we're really
3: mad by by all boycotting and then when we finally got to the vote and the vote kicked in we each vote and and so For the Republicans, we're all sitting in our seat, and when they call your name, you stand up and say aye, and 52 of the 53 voted aye. Uh, The Democrats, you know what was fascinating, Michael, is most of the Democrats didn't call out their vote nay. Mm -hmm. They would just kind of quietly go up and signal to the clerk they were voting no, Mm -hmm. which actually is how you normally vote on most issues. You normally, it's very rare for us to be in our seats and sort of vote vocally, but in that sort of circumstance, I thought it was fascinating. Hmm. Um, Maisie Hirono walked down and was captured on C-SPAN voting hell no, which I don't necessarily even falter. I get that she's impassioned on that. She's impassioned, yeah. But then the vote was over and and uh, Justice Barrett was confirmed. And, and at that point, actually, there was a standing ovation as the Senate Republicans all burst into applause. We then went, there was a little press conference in a room in the Capitol that's called the LBJ room. So we had TV cameras set up there. A number of us went up and talked to the cameras and then jumped in a car and headed to the White House for the swearing-in ceremony that was immediately thereafter.
2: That sounds like a wonderful night. It all went off without a hitch. And I have to say, I Senator, I was wrong in my prediction. You were right in your prediction because I assumed there was going to be some last minute surprise that was going to come up and they were going to try to make a big deal out of Barrett. And you said at least, what was it, a week or two weeks ago, three weeks ago, you said the Democrats realized that Judge Barrett is going to be Justice Barrett. They've basically surrendered this fight. Was was there anything left for them to do or they just, they had no cards to play? Look, they tried to take some shots at her in the hearing, she
3: was really good. And, and they realized every minute the American people spent listening to Judge Barrett, this calm, cool, collected, mm-hmm. serious, her temperament, scholarly, judicial, defending the constitution, they were losing when the American people were hearing her. And yeah. so they decided, um, you know, there's one exchange. Do you remember when Dick Durbin blasts her on race? And how did you feel when George Floyd, when that video broke, uh, became public? And she pointed out to him, she said, look, I, I do have two black children. And like, right. you know, we cried over it. And, and it, you could see Durbin's face of like abject terror of, oh crap. And I have to admit, I thought of the, the, the Monty Python uh, uh, skit Run away! Run away! Yeah. As, as quickly Durbin <laughs> realized, okay, this is not the, the the usual Democratic demagoguery is is not really working on this. Right, um, and, and so I I think they decided to get out of dodge. They didn't have the votes, but Schumer's speech was all about throwing down the marker, and we talked about this on our last podcast. But throwing down the marker, if if they win win next Tuesday, they intend to pack the court, and 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 that was what what Schumer's speech was all about, is is, if
2: Democrats win, Katie barred the door. Right. You saw the New York Times almost immediately after the vote publish about half a dozen columns saying we need to pack the courts. We need to change the way the courts are set up. Joe Biden came out and he said, I'm not willing to institute term limits on the court, but I would be willing to move judges from the Supreme Court to other courts, which effectively obviously puts term limits on the court. So it it does seem that at all levels of the left here, they are serious about uh, transforming the court. AOC, I mean, so many other elected officials were talking about this the moments after A- ACB was, was confirmed. Look, it's brute power, and, and it's worth
3: noting, for the first two years of the Trump presidency, Republicans had majorities in both houses. We could have packed the court. Nothing to prevent us from ending the filibuster and adding justices. We didn't do that. Yeah. And, and, and we wouldn't have, I, I mean, we, nobody even suggested it. And, and, and so, uh, look, I, I hope we don't wake up in a world that is a Biden, Schumer, Pelosi world. But if we do, they're going to pack the court, I believe. And that's naturally gonna escalate. So the next time Republicans take power, we will pack the court in response. I mean, it will. Right. if they go to 11, we'll go to 13. That's bad for the court. That's bad for the country. I I don't want to see us go down that road, but I I don't think a single Democratic senator will oppose their efforts to pack the court.
2: It it would seem that way. There seems to be a lot of uniformity, and I'm pleased that the Barrett nomination went off uh, easily. I am curious, though, Senator, on a completely different topic, if there will be more hostile interactions in the Senate, with big tech. Big tech has played a huge role in this election. I know that senators have been grilling and hammering these these big tech overlords, but it's been pretty opaque. I don't think we've really seen what's going on behind the scenes. Are there any updates, especially now as we get into the waning days of the campaign, uh, with regard to the, the political oversight of big tech?
3: So tomorrow, there's going to be a hearing with the CEOs of Google, Facebook, and Twitter uh, in front of the Senate Commerce Committee. And so I'm, I'm on commerce, I'll participate in that. Um, I'm gonna be questioning them. Uh, we're doing it virtually, it's a virtual hearing. So I'm, I'm back in Texas now, I'll be doing it uh, from here. Uh, and then in, in November, uh, the Judiciary Committee will be having a second hearing uh, with the CEOs of Twitter and Facebook. And, and so we're gonna have two hearings in the next couple of weeks with big tech, uh, you know, today I spent over an hour on the phone with the CEO of of both Google and Facebook hmm. uh, in in preparation for the hearing and talking about these issues. And and in both instances, I would say the conversations were were vigorous.
2: <laughs> Do you, I, I don't want to ask for tales out of school here, Senator, but uh, I would anticipate the conversations were vigorous. Can you give us a little uh, behind the scenes, what to expect at these hearings, what what was discussed? So on both of them, both of them asked for the calls. And so I said, sure,
3: and I'm happy to hear them out. Um, And so I let uh, both Sundar and and Mark Zuckerberg drive the conversations and and lay out their views. Um, Zuckerberg and I have talked a fair amount. Um, And I will say, you know, my my views on the sort of big tech players is they all occupy different spaces. Um, I think Facebook and Zuckerberg has been the most outspoken in the general direction of free speech. I I don't think they're a very good player, but I think they're the least bad of the three players. Yeah. Um, and, And actually, Zuckerberg has taken a lot of grief. From the rest of big tech for suggesting free speech even matters, um, and 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 so, you know, I'm in a posture of trying to encourage him. Okay, that's good, um, but Facebook still throttled the New York Post story, and and so, with Zuckerberg, I made the case to him tonight that that listen, y'all should not be in the business of deciding what media stories are allowed to be seen and what media stories aren't. That that. By any measure, the New York Post is a serious major media company. And as he know, knows well, and as we've talked about a lot in this pod, I, I have serious issues with big tech censoring the speech of American citizens. Yeah. Crossing over into censoring the media is a major threshold to cross. And, and yeah. now, by the way, Zuckerberg pointed out, he said, he said, he said Facebook never blocked sharing the Post story and that they have zero constraints on it right now. That's good. That's better than as we sit here talking right now, Twitter is still blocking the New York
2: Post today. Uh, that is a distinction worth making because the the former Democrat operative who's now running communications at Facebook did say we're suppressing the spread of the article. But compared to Facebook, they were basically, or compared to Twitter rather, they were basically a free speech platform. They were allowing people to post it, they were allowing people to message it. Twitter was not doing that. And as you point out, I had actually forgotten the the New York Post is still not permitted. Even though Twitter has lifted the the regulations surrounding that link, they still will not allow the New York Post to, to post their stories now, however many days before the election. So of those three companies, Twitter
3: is the most brazen. I mean, Dorsey is just a hard leftist partisan saying, screw you, we have power and we're gonna use it. Twitter's also the least powerful of the three. It's funny, they're the smallest player and the most in your face about it. Um, Although, you know, I think of Twitter kind of like the Morning Joe of social media. And, And what I mean by that, you know, Morning Joe is the show on MSNBC that has like virtually no viewers yeah but it's on every morning, and the people who view it are actually all the media folks mm-hmm. who there was a period of time less so now. It's actually Morning Joe's been more marginalized. But a few years ago, Morning Joe could drive the news because yeah. all the reporters and all the the quote, "thought leaders were watching it. Twitter's right. kind of the same right. thing in that it can drive mm-hmm. news, but its reach is much, much smaller than Facebook. And both of them are dwarfed by Google, which is this, this vast omnipresence in the sky with, with octopus
2: tentacles expanding the cosmos. So is there any insight you can give us from, your, uh, <laughs> from that vivid and accurate image? Uh, is there any insight you could give us from Sundar Pichai, the, the head of Google? So it's interesting.
3: Sundar... <sighs> His reputation is of not being deeply political, mm. and, and I don't have a reason to doubt that. But a point that I made to him is because he's, he, I mean, he's an engineer, because he's not necessarily, he, he may be, but he's not visibly and overtly political. He doesn't perceive that everything around Google is hard left Hmm. and is profoundly partisan. And so I pressed him. The conversation with Sundar was, was quite vigorous, where I said, look, Google has massive power. Now, I did point out, actually, on the New York Post story, Google, by all appearances, did not censor the story. Right,
2: right. It was a bit strange at the time.
3: Twitter and Facebook did. Now, we talked about last podcast. I think one of the reasons Google may not have is because of the DOJ lawsuit and, and Google's kind of sort of on best behavior. And it was interesting. Sundar said, well, the New York Post is a media outlet and we don't want to be, be constraining media outlets. I'm like, good. That's a, that's a step in the right direction. Now, I press them on. Their search outcomes are biased. They have no transparency. Um you guys were the single biggest donor on the face of the planet to Hillary Clinton, you're profoundly yeah. left-wing. It, it was, look, I think it was beneficial to talk through. My sense was some of these issues are new to him as a stretch, Yeah. but yeah. I, I think Google has such vast power that that they just don't seem to care much and so
2: I'm hopeful the continued scrutiny draws draws their attention i think this is a great point that uh, conservatives don't focus on that much which is that these guys are living in this very left wing world of big tech everything around them is left wing often they don't perceive themselves as political they just assume that leftism, liberalism, progressivism is the only type of politics, you know, so they don't they don't understand maybe even some of the premises that they are accepting here. So it would be good. I'm glad to hear you had a a vigorous conversation with them. I hope that it can open their eyes and if their eyes cannot be opened in that that sort of way then perhaps there's a role for the DOJ lawsuit for other uh, mechanisms that we've discussed many times on this show because time is running out, Senator. I have to call your attention before we get to the mailbag to this terrifying headline that I saw in the Financial Times, which is that Texas is on its way to becoming a blue state. You are a Texan. I trust you more than the Financial Times. Is this true? I hope not. Uh, I don't
3: know. Uh, I don't think so. I think Texas will stay red. I think Texas will vote for Trump. I think John Cornyn will get reelected. But Texas is clearly a battleground. Uh, Texas has been trending more purple. I wouldn't say Texas is blue, but it's trending more purple. And, and I can tell you, so this is, this is Tuesday night. Uh, let me just tell you about my next week. So yesterday I was in DC, we confirmed Justice Barrett. This morning I flew back to Houston. Actually tonight is my daughter Catherine's 10th birthday. So I'm going to leave the podcast and go have, have, have dinner to celebrate Catherine's birthday, which I made it home for. Second year in a row, by the way, I've turned down World Series tickets to go to spend it instead with, for Catherine's birthday. So both this year and last year, I
2: declined to go to the World Series because I had a date with a nine-year-old and now a 10-year-old. Um, you are a better father than I think I would be. That is a big sacrifice, yeah. a very nice thing to do. <laughs>
3: it, it was easier this year because the Astros aren't in it, so I'm a little more ambivalent about the results. Um, last year, I actually invited Catherine to come with me to the World Series How'd that go? She went to some of the games, but she didn't want to go on the day of her birthday. So, so we skipped it on, on the day of her birthday. Tomorrow, uh, I fly to North Carolina to campaign with Tom Tillis, who's running for Senate there in a very close contested race. Tomorrow night, I fly to Montana. I uh, do, I think, two events in Montana with Steve Daines in a very close contested Senate race in Montana. From Montana, I fly to California, do a fundraiser in California to help try to keep the Senate red. From California, I fly back to Texas because Catherine has her 10th birthday party this weekend. I told her I'd be here for the party. Oh, hold on, hold on. No, no, I don't fly. I fly from California to Iowa. I'm sorry, I forgot where I do, I think, three stops with Joni Ernst campaigning for to help her hold on to her Senate seat in Iowa, then back to Texas for Catherine's birthday. Then on Sunday, I fly to Arizona, do several stops with Martha McSally, uh, who's, Running to, to hold on to her seat there. And then I come back on Monday to campaign with John
2: Cornyn in, in Texas, and then Tuesday's election day. So, a nice, relaxing couple of weeks before we get to <laughs> November 3rd. You know, as Senator, uh, you do hear these stories of President Trump is doing two rallies this day or one rally this, day, and you think, oh my gosh, he, this is so unusual. This, this is really putting out the effort. But it sounds like this is just how election season works in politics. This is not exactly your first rodeo.
3: It's not, and, and frankly, I enjoy being out there campaigning. I will say I hate campaigning in the era of COVID because yeah. what I like to do is events. So you go to a rally or something, you give a talk, and then what I like to do is you know, go off the front of the stage and into yeah. the crowd and take pictures with people and hug people and like, just hang out. And, and we would usually schedule events where say the event was an hour, and then I'd just stay an extra hour just to be with people afterwards. Yep. In the era of COVID, you can't really do that. I mean, you know, you've got an infectious disease. So n- for most of these events, I'll do the remarks and then just kind of leave through the back, which I hate. It. it I mean, it, it. it's miserable, and I really will be grateful to getting back campaigning the way
2: it should be done, which is actually interacting directly with lots and lots of people. And it actually, it's, it's not even just, you know, it's nice to shake hands and meet people, but there is something very helpful about it too, which is that when you get to campaign in that way or you get to go to events in that way, you're hearing from people what is really going on, what maybe you're not hearing in the yep. mainstream media. So it, it kind of works both ways. COVID seems to have cut out that aspect of the campaign. Uh,
3: it, it has, and it's just kind of, particularly the last couple of weeks, I've been very cautious about it because look, the biggest thing that could have derailed justice barrett is if three of us have gotten covid yeah right i, right. I mean she was confirmed 52 to 48 and by the way the median age in the senate's like 142 i mean yeah. it's it's you know these are not spring chickens in this body yeah. and and we've had several senators test positive for covid but but it was a big concern we were all sort of consciously limiting our interaction because we have to, in the Senate, you have to vote in person. If you're yeah. not physically on the floor, you don't get to vote. No Zoom votes. And so we were, we were legitimately discussing and we had procured uh, hmm. like space suits, like hazmat suits. Like, like I, <laughs> when I quarantined, I, I told Mitch McConnell, look, if I, if I need to wear a hazmat suit to come vote for, for Justice Barrett, I will. And I'll tell you, actually, we had them. The White House went and got, if we needed to put a
2: senator in like a, a hazmat suit to walk onto the floor and go, "I," we would have done it. In a sense, I'm glad nobody came down with COVID. But in another, another part of me thinks if you just had a senator walking down as like a bubble boy or something, that would have made for great political imagery. Uh, but I, I guess better that everybody's healthy. You know, we, we have only a minute or two remaining before you've got to hop all around God's green earth. I do want to get to one mailbag question, though, because we've been talking about how things have gotten so extreme and the Democrats are going to completely break every norm of our constitution if they get power in November and Republicans have become more conservative. And uh, Stephen wants to know, does Senator Cruz believe we will ever reach back to a more centrist right and left? Or would we even want to? or are we forever locked to the extremes by this election and the ensuing ones? So I hope so, and and
3: it will take breaking the fever. Um, You know, if you look at elections, typically what happens is if one side gets clobbered over and over again, they engage in some introspection. They say, okay, what's going wrong? Why do we keep losing? Think about the Democrats through the 80s and early 90s, where you had... Reagan, Reagan, Bush. And and so Democrats lost three elections in a row. And and you know, they they had a massive period of introspection and said, gosh, what we're selling, people ain't buying. And yeah. what did they do? They came back with Bill Clinton, who ran as a centrist Democrat and won and won twice. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the interesting effects of Trump's victory in 2016. Democrats, by and large, in Washington, very quickly blamed Russia for the loss. Yeah. And we had the whole three years of Russia, Russia, Russia. One of the consequences of that is you had virtually none of the introspection that usually follows an election loss, wh- hmm. where almost no Democrats said, wait a second, how did we as the Democratic Party lose... Working class voters in, in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin and Ohio, you know, these are, you know, FDR union voters who suddenly voted Republican. Any sane Democrat would be saying, wow, we we might need to adjust what we're saying. They didn't engage in that process. I think if we see a really fantastic election this time, you may see some Democrats second guess, but I hmm. think the only way you will see a decline in the divide is to have one or two electoral
2: thumpings to cause one or the other party to recalibrate this is a great point because whenever i hear people say oh we need to come back to the center i think well you know if the center is very far left or if it means unilateral disarmament that doesn't sound so interesting to me but but and i don't think it would work anyway your take does seem to be historically valid which is you need to force a little introspection. <laughs> you need to lead people in, into a way that they can't uh, resist it anymore because they keep getting rejected at the ballot box. So the way to come back to a little moderation and come back to the center is to give them a good thumping at the ballot box. Let's hope that we can accomplish that this go around. Uh, all the time we have for today, Senator, I'm sure you'll have visited 25 states before I speak to you next in a few days. But in the meantime, I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hollywood
1: is under siege from an external force. The same Hollywood that sold the American dream is now making nightmares a reality. Many major films make choices to appease the Chinese Communist Party to be distributed in China. Join Tiffany Meyer, an investigative reporter in Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by The Epic Times, where she reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios don't miss the most important documentary about hollywood yet for a limited time watch the first 10 minutes for free at hollywoodtakeover.com slash ben hollywoodtakeover.com
0: slash ben
1: Over 150,000 Americans already trust Patriot power generators. So go to the number four, patriots.com slash verdict to get your solar generator now. You'll even get a solar panel included for free. Go right now to the number four, patriots.com slash verdict.